Coming up on Philosophy Talk, Lincoln as a philosopher. We all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. If slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. As I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. This expresses my idea of democracy. Whatever differs from this to the extent of the difference is no democracy. The strongest bond of human sympathy outside of the family relation should be the one uniting all working people of all nations and tongues and kindreds. Capital is only the fruit of labor and should never have existed if labor had not first existed. Labor is superior of capital and deserves much higher consideration. Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves and, under a just God, cannot long retain it. The philosophy of the classroom today will be the philosophy of government tomorrow. The philosophy of Abraham Lincoln. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, the philosophy of Abraham Lincoln. Ken Lincoln is revered by many as our greatest president. The most eloquent? He's virtually an American saint. But we're going to look at the philosophical ideas, both religious and political, that animated this alleged saint. John, you sound a little skeptical. I know we're supposed to question everything, but Abraham Lincoln? What's the question about him? Well, take the second inaugural address. That, that's carved on the wall of the Lincoln Memorial along with the Gettysburg Address. If you read it, it's really quite chilling especially when you think it represents the philosophy of someone who has just pursued a path that led to the deaths of a half million people. But, John, that's a great address. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Those words express a noble philosophy, John. Charity, fairness, compassion, even a sour puss like you shouldn't find much to object to in that. Well, sure. That's the end of the address, but look at what comes before. Lincoln basically suggests that American slavery is something that happened according to God's plan. And then, after 250 years, God wants to stop it. So he has a civil war, a terrible war, in which every drop of blood spilled by the lash of the whip during 250 years of slavery shall be paid for by the blood of soldiers. That is a frightening picture. It's a particularly frightening image to think that our leader has. But he's thinking of himself as as but the pawn of a god who decides things and designs things so that first innocent people are slaves for 250 years, and then as payback, half a million folks, the vast majority of whom didn't own slaves and half of whom were opposed to slavery, must suffer and die. I think that's chilling. That sounds kind of Old Testament to me, an eye for an eye and all that. But, you know, I don't have any interest in defending what seems to have been uh, Lincoln's theology there. But, you know, does it really show uh, much about who Lincoln himself was and what he truly thought, his real philosophy. After all, this was a political address, t- addressed to people who were coming to the end of a terrible ordeal, and clearly he was trying to make some sense of it in terms that they could relate to. It's not very clear what he himself thinks, though. Well, 
Sounds clear to me. Well, but if you read the whole thing, if you look at the broader context, it's as if Lincoln lays out a way of thinking, uh, uh, of looking at things that might bring solace to the suffering believers. You know, it's all God's will. It's all divine providence and all that. But at the same time, he really doesn't commit himself to that. It's not clear that Lincoln gives the answer to a certain rhetorical question that he intends to evoke in the minds of his listeners. Well, that's a possible reading, perhaps a more subtle reading than I give it. And and I I admit we ought to be impressed that an American president could write prose that posed such deep questions in such an artful way. But, you know, it's like everything else about Lincoln. Uh, There's all these apparent contradictions. For example? Well... He believes in government of the people, by the people, for the people, all these echoes of the Declaration of Independence. But then it's it's the preservation of the Union that matters, no matter what the people in the states that want to secede think. Then there's devotion to life, liberty, and the rights of citizens. But he closed down the newspapers in New York City. He jailed the editors. He suspended habeas corpus. He makes George Bush look like Thomas Jefferson with malice towards none, he sent Sherman on his march through Georgia. Well, you know, I have to admit, I Lincoln in the Lincoln-Douglas debate said all these really racist things, but he was also a consistent and stalwart opponent of slavery, so there's a contradiction there, too. But maybe the problem is not in our Lincoln, but in ourselves. Maybe we just don't understand what things were like, what options he saw himself presented with. Well, we're going to get some help on that. In a moment, we'll have help from Al Genie of Loyola University, who's been teaching a course on Lincoln and leadership. He'll join us soon. And, of course, we want our audience's help, too. The number to call is 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, April Dremboski, tried to follow the footsteps of the elusive 16th president. She files this report. Remember the fifth grade when math class was canceled so teachers could escort their classes to the gym for an assembly? Troops of 10-year-olds squirmed in rows on the linoleum floor until the principal held up her hand, stared, and 400 kids magically went quiet. Then Officer Friendly came from the police department to celebrate seatbelts, or some other kid's father showed up dressed as a pilgrim, or Abraham Lincoln. Kevin Weinert is that guy. I was just looking in the mirror, the rearview mirror of my car as I was driving down the road, and I thought, you know, I'm skinny enough, I'm almost tall enough. I have the big nose and the big ears. I could shave off the mustache and be Abraham Lincoln. Weinert tries to show kids that Lincoln was a real person. We see him in the pictures looking very serious and stoic. And to get them to realize he was a lively man, he enjoyed a good joke, he liked to laugh. Once he gets their attention, he turns to some of the thorny myths about Lincoln's philosophy especially slavery. As much as he hated slavery, as much as he wanted slavery to end, he wasn't an abolitionist. For his time, he was a progressive. But Abraham Lincoln, by our standard, was a racist. I asked Weinar if I could speak directly to the 16th president. He pauses. Let me get, can I get my hat? Then he paces in a circle, hands behind his back. You know who I am, right? You know my name? My name is... Abraham Lincoln? Mr. President, your hat isn't as tall as I expected it to be. Many people, when they see my hat, they're a bit surprised. They expect to see a two-foot-long stovepipe sitting on top of my head. Now, why would people think I'd wear a stovepipe on top of my head? 
You were a lawyer, you served in the House of Representatives, and now you're the president. But you had very little schooling. How did you develop your political philosophy? I did read. My favorites were Aesop's Fables, Pilgrim's Progress, and of course, the Bible. And then uh, historical works, uh, biography of George Washington, military history, any, really anything I could get my hands on. Mr. President, the United States are in the midst of a horrible war. Many believe that Americans are fighting each other because of your position on slavery. Uh, I've been very clear throughout my presidency that slavery is not the issue. We fight the war to preserve this union. If I can preserve that nation and not free any slaves, I would not free any. And if I could preserve that nation by freeing all the slaves, I would free them. My goal is to preserve the union. Well then, what are your views on slavery? I believe that if slavery is not a sin, then nothing is. It wasn't until a trip to New Orleans, I took by a riverboat, I saw the evils of the auction block for the first time. I remember striding away from that scene filled with rage, and I remember saying to a friend, someday I'm going to hit that, and hit it hard. Mr. President, I've heard you can be quite the funny man. Will you tell us a joke then? I was debating a man named uh, Stephen Douglas. We were arguing over a lot of things, primarily slavery. The debate got a bit heated. And I remember at one point, Mr. Douglas accused me of being a liar. Well, he didn't say that. He said, Mr. Lincoln is a two-faced man. When it got to be my turn to speak, I came to the podium, I looked at the crowd, and I said, Now, Mr. Douglas, if God Almighty had given me another face to wear, do you think I would wear this one? With Honest Abe, Abraham Lincoln, I'm April Dembosky. Now back to the 21st century and philosophy talk. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.